0: All right. Hi, I'm Patrick, uh, compulsive eater and bulimic from New Jersey. And I'm going to probably speak fast because I've got a lot of territory to cover. But um, I always like to say experience is a hard teacher. She gave me the test first and the lesson afterwards because I'm a slow learner. I have to go through a lot of pain. <clears throat> I wish I could learn from your pain, but that doesn't always work. When I was sick, I was food focused in the food. I was food focused. In recovery, I'm not food focused. You know, as a human, I have a buildup of emotions and this drives me to my poison because it gives me an alternate reality for a few minutes, uh, you know, a distraction and whatnot, temporary relief, whatever. And so I have to watch that. Uh, this is why working the the living steps every day is really important because it helps get rid of all that stuff, which unfortunately shows up every day. I think I have two histories, one, what happened to me and two, what I think happened to me and they're actually different, but, uh, that's me twisting the truth to justify my behaviors and what I do, you know, in recovery, I, um, I tried to, um, uh, be aware of mindless behavior. and What I mean by mindless behavior is, um, like if I go out my driveway, most of the time I turn left and sometimes I turn right. So if I'm in mindless behavior, I'll just drift out the driveway and turn left. And then it's like, oh, I should have gone the other way. Darn it. And so it didn't hurt anybody, but it's inconvenient and it causes me frustration. And um, and it's a source of, of danger for a compulsive eater if the situation is a certain thing. Uh, mindless behavior to me is like Russian roulette. So In recovery, it's my job to, you know, not uh, drift into that mindlessness. Um, I I, I do two readings in the morning before I start the world, uh, page eighty-six and ninety-eight. And page eighty-six, it warns me not to drift into worry, remorse, and morbid reflection. And it's funny when I first read this, I was like, oh my god, this is like my biography. (laughs) Uh, I I throw in a little anger, and it's definitely my bar. These are the only feelings I ever had, you know. Um, You know, one of my favorite journalists and uh, poets uh, was uh, Carl Sandburg, and he used to say civilizations have been lost because they forgot from where they came. So when I'm out in the world, I need to know who I am and where I came from, particularly when I go into the grocery store or Starbucks or Dunkin' or whatever and see those pretty shiny stuff under glass that everybody's having with their coffee. Um, The big book on page 101, now I'm going in back and forth. Yeah, I didn't even tell you I'm using the big book. (laughs) Um, uh, I'm going to go back and forth into it because um, I find a lot of practical application there that I use every day, and so I love that. But anyway, page 101 says, so our rule is not to, to avoid a place where there's drinking if we have a legitimate reason for being there. Now, page 101 you know, was originally ended in the middle of the page, days before they went to the first printing they added the second half of page 101 page 102 and page 103 thank god because these were spectacular pages, a lot of good information in them. Uh, what, what what, was almost uh, not added, but at the last minute, it says, in our, our belief, any scheme of combating the al- alcoholism, which proposes to shield the sick men from temptation is doomed to fail. Uh, now, Dr. Bob used to keep a bottle of liquor in his kitchen. I, I, his wife, Ann, wasn't happy about that, but he did. Um, so my last relapse uh, happened about 16 years ago. I was walking in Greenwich Village in New York with four other civilians on Bleecker Street, and yes, believe it or not, there are some civilians that aren't addicted to anything, and so they literally rushed in <laughs> to the Bleeker Street Bakery, and I kind of followed in a mindless state. I didn't have any thought about it, um, and you know, when I crossed the threshold of that bakery, uh, I didn't, I had no motives, I had no intention, you know, of had, having uh, any red light food. My, uh, you know, and and I think about page 22, it says, why does he behave like this? If hundreds of experiences have shown that um, that one drink means another debacle with all its attendant suffering and humiliation, why does he take that drink? So I'm standing in the bakery. Right. And I'm 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 there and I see free desserts and it's like, oh, my God, and amnesia set in. and uh by the way dessert spelled backwards is stressed i think that's kind of interesting um i was in a mindless state which of course unfortunately converted into a fantasy state and um so i did take this thing and and just one and my fantasy rationalized well tomorrow i'm going to start i'll start back on the diet which is a, a great lie and um This is really, I thought I got away with it, but I didn't really. Uh, One of my major character defects is this fantasy business. I, I struggle with fantasy. Uh, You know, I don't like reality. Thank you. Uh, So page 559, I'm going to turn to it quickly. Uh, 559. Um, It's the last story in the back of the big book, how to handle sobriety. And it's a great one. It's important for me because, you know, uh, this talks about fantasy and, and so much of the big book, uh, has really important stuff here. So here's what the author, Bob Pearson, who wrote that story, said, the last paragraph. Above all, we reject fantasizing and accept reality. The more I drank, the more I fantasized everything. I imagine getting even for hurts and rejections. In my mind's eye, I played and replayed the scenes in which I was plucked magically from the bar where I stood nursing a drink and instantly exalted to some position of power and prestige. I lived in a dream world. AA led me gently from this fantasizing to embrace reality with open arms. And I found it beautiful for or last I was at peace with myself others and with God and so um, this fantasy business is a real struggle for me anyway so um, I, um, I I'm I, I, I was in the bakery I did this thing and I thought I got away with it I was okay but the next morning something changed and and it did change uh, because I was back in another journey you know, into that dark, shadowy world of compulsive eating and bulimia. And, and you know, funny, the sign in the bakery said free, but it had a big price tag for me. Five years relapse, um, 100 pound gain, um, bulimia, of course, uh, going endlessly. And the worst thing is my spiritual life went south. I even lost my big book. Uh, and, I, you know, I thought about going back to the, to the OA many times in those five years. And I finally made a decision to chuck my ego because I had to do that to go back to check the ego and go back and, and uh, because I did an action on that I got results you know many times I do many many decisions during the uh, during the day but if I don't I, I do an, an, an action with it there's no results so so I went off I went on my day off on a Saturday morning to this meeting and somehow the car wound up in a fast food drive through and I didn't make it. And this happened three weeks in a row. And finally, the fourth week, I finally made it to this meeting and I parked the car. and I'm getting out of the car and I'm already negotiating on my way in. I swear. I'm I'm negotiating. I'm going, well, I'm not going to do the how plan. It's too difficult in the house sponsors. No, I'm not going to do that. And um, forget the action steps. You know, I'll do steps one, two, and three. That's what I decided. But when I walked in, they were reading from page 325, a student's life. And the gal was was avoiding taking a sponsor. And um, her friend, who was a recovering alcoholic, Uh, said why why not because and she said because i'm not sure i'm done drinking yet and he said you know you hit when you hit bottom you stop digging so and if if I live in the now, which is currently in the now, this is where spirituality can be found, not in tomorrow or yesterday, so I was so blown away, and the back, the hairs in the back of my head stood up, and I had this really powerful spiritual experience, it was it was wonderful, and you know, it's funny, on page 86, I think about it, it says, being still inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with God, um, it's not probable that I'm going to be inspired all the time, we might pay for this in a presumption and all sorts of absurd actions and ideas but nevertheless we find that our thinking will as time passes be more and more on the plane of inspiration and and i just think that that is such a beautiful statement i love that statement and um but you know who doesn't like it my ego the disease, the red light foods, they hate that statement. They hate the spiritual world and will try to block me from it. You know, I used to think I had three defenses against this, this disease. One, uh, um, willpower, self-knowledge, and then fear. And those things did work, but they also failed me. I could not depend on them totally because they would gradually fail me. And so I walked into the harems rooms, uh, uh, f- f- but what I learned in the rooms by... Because fellowship encouraged me, it gave me the courage to read and work the steps. I found there's a fourth defense, and that's a spiritual defense. And that seems seems to be the only defense I have against this compulsive eating. So thirty years ago, I walk into the herbs, and they said, No flour, no wheat, no sugar. And I said, No way, you just described my entire food pyramid. How, you know, how am I going to survive? And then they handed me this big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was like, how do I relate to drunks? I, I just don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. But again, they encouraged me. I read. I worked with a sponsor to the steps. And to my amazement, the book was suddenly all about me. How is that possible? Um, on page three three um, 328 is uh, Crossing the River Denial, it's uh, written by Karen R. of Manhattan, and I love this, what she says about it, because it's uh, really good. She talks about obsession, you know, and she says on 334, she says at the bottom, she Five says. Minutes. Thank you. Uh, she says, the moment, uh, at that moment, I knew that the big, what the big book meant about the great obsession of every abnormal drinker being to somehow, someday control and enjoy his eating. And... Um, And that's also uh, done on on page 30, which is uh, what I do as the first step concession on page 30. And that is, you know, I call this, uh, chapter three is uh, about more about alcoholism, as lies, lies, and more lies. Obsession, illusion, delusion. We learned that we had to be fully conceded to our innermost selves that we we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we were like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. know so when i get out of bed in the morning i have to decide reality or fantasy which one am i going to choose today now i don't always trust what my mind tells me because it lies to me because it's too close to the fantasy world uh and i'll bend the truth but when i'm and you know when i'm in my head i always say i'm I'm behind enemy lines because there's trouble there i don't like my head and uh, I also think of my mind as a minefield. And I don't know when the explosion is going to happen and send me off to my poison. So, um, And so uh, being in recovery, I don't have to do that anymore because I'm more than some food obsessed zombie. I have more to offer the world and recovery allows me to find the true Patrick so what are the spiritual principles well the steps right and this is really important you know step 11 is so important because i have to improve my conscious contact with god which is my most important relationship i'm ever going to have you know and um and so and so that's really important now now what's a spiritual awakening well i say what magic that's what a spiritual awakening is. And um, and I think of the magic that's described on page 84. You know, the ninth step promises, it says that feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We'll lose interest in, in selfish things and gain interest in our fellow. And, and so these... Um, to me are magic that i'm actually doing this you know and that's what what's really fascinating to me uh, and that that's how i interpret it. now i have a spiritual life and i have three little rules that i follow in the spiritual life one i'm independent of opinion so what you think and say about me is none of my business two when praying i am not so arrogant as to uh, to have an unconditional demand i have un- i i mean de- conditional prayer i have an unconditional prayer that whether it's answered or not doesn't matter and three i don't control anybody and by practicing the living steps t- 10 11 and 12 a spiritual awakening can be found or i can maintain my spiritual life and um and this is why i go to a meeting not to be entertained i used to go to be entertained but now it's it's a service it's kind of more 12 step um and uh my second reading no, well something i want to mention which i think is important i strongly believe the illness of compulsion is indirectness Again, illness of compulsion is indirectness because if I am dishonest, I'm not telling you the truth. And that sets me up for all sorts of trouble, all sorts of resentments. In my second reading, page 98, it says, if the alcohol commences to rely upon our assistance rather than God, he clamors for this or that, claiming he cannot master alcohol until his material needs are, are cared for. Nonsense. Some of us may take in very hard knocks to learn the truth. Job, no job, wife or no wife. We simply do not stop drinking so long as we depend upon... Uh, other people ahead of dependency on god so i cannot depend on my sponsor i work with them and and he works with me but i i'm not dependent on because that would be codependent which is not uh, god independent you know? and so um uh you know with a spiritual life i mean i can survive the world the world can be upside down right um, my partner bruce dropped dead in front of me two years ago we were partners for 40 years and my reality changed drastically. I, uh, and I tried to say Bruce, but it took him nine seconds to die. And this was followed by a world pandemic. And I was laid off and isolated at home. It was like the perfect storm for disaster. But I don't want to be delusional anymore and play the victim. You know, the poor Patrick, poor Patrick, poor Patrick of Milkshake deal. You know, I don't have the luxury of self-pity. Uh, pity parties uh, don't serve crudité; they serve flour and sugar and fat. <laughs> and so, I don't want to be a part of those anymore. Um, and you know, when I met you, I would hand my calling card was please pity me because I was looking for for pity. And I was like that Tennessee Williams character Blanche DuBois in, in *Streetcar Named Desire*. She said, "I depend on the kindness of strangers. Well, I depended on the pity of strangers, and I don't want to do that anymore." Now, step ten. I hope my timing is going okay here. Um, um, step 10 forces me to look at my part in the problem of the character defect that that regenerates every day and so like I think you're just about out of time. I'll just, I'll just wrap it up. I'm almost done. Um, uh, so um, I, I considered step 10 as the unplugging seven, unplugs those regenerated defects. Uh, I'm the architect of most of my problems. Mother Teresa used to say, ask the question, do you want to be happy? Be compassionate. So faith leads to love, which leads to service. I came into programs 30 years ago and I was a big shot, but I worked myself all the way up to serve it and i'm going to close out by uh, a quote from my favorite scottish theologian carl bard by the way this quote was plagiarized in safe haven in the back of the big book which i thought was funny but he says i can't go back and make a brand new start but i can start right now and make a brand new end thank you and god bless